to uh, Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. Looking at this closing short chapter. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn us an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. So on. Well, we come to the closing, six verses, closing section of Malachi, very famous short chapter that is before us. That closes, of course, not only this prophecy, but the whole of the Old Testament itself. And so the scriptures of the old dispensation come to a conclusion, come to their close, come to their end. But with what do they close? How is God, who began the scriptures within the beginning, God created, how is he going to choose to close the Old Testament portion? As he himself is to fall silent, as it were, to mankind for hundreds of years. What will his closing words be? Well, we are thankful to find here, ultimately, a prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the key subject matter laid out by Malachi in this chapter for us. And we are introduced under the term of the day. The coming of the day, but behold, the day cometh. To all that do wickedly, this day that is coming, in Malachi's perspective at least, this day shall burn them up, leaving neither root nor branch for the wicked. But to them that fear the Lord, the same ones who speak often one to another, and the Lord heard, a hearkened and heard, and a book of remembrance was written, these same ones who are God-fearing, to them the coming day, will be like the the dawning of the day, the longed-for rise of the light, and the sun of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. There will be health, there will be salvation, there will be deliverance, there will be joy, there will be brightness. The shadows will flee away because the light will have come. And in that day, the the righteous, far from foolishly envying the wicked, as had been spoken of in the previous chapter, will rather trample the wicked down as ash underneath the soles of their feet. Such will be the deliverance over the wicked that will be wrought in that day. That's the prophecy in the first three verses. And that prophecy being given, Malachi then turns from prophecy to counsel and he counsels the Jews in verse uh, 4 to keep close to the law of Moses, the servant of God, to listen to that law that he gave upon Horeb and not anything else. Good counsel. How far by the time of the Messiah The Pharisees and the Sadducees had strayed away, adding, 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 always getting further, further, further 
from the root and the core and the marrow of the law of God given by Moses. Malachi then, having encouraged them to stick close to the law, he then speaks of one last prophet who will come before that day. The prophet here identified as Elijah, of course known in the New Testament as John the Baptist. Luke 1 17 says, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Speaking, of course, of John there, but quoting here from Malachi. And notice the similarities uh, between verse 5 of this chapter And verse 1 of the previous chapter. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Behold I will send my messenger. And he shall prepare the way before me. Verse 5 of chapter 4. Behold I will send you Elijah the prophet. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. These Two verses across the two chapters are of course identifying the very same individual. In one case called the messenger. My messenger. Who is preparing the way before me. Before God. Under the title of the messenger of the covenant. And again here under the title of Elijah. That is that fearless prophet of the Lord. Who would call the nation to repentance. And of course, all this came to pass in the course of John the Baptist's calling and ministry. He did call the people to repent. Demanded of them fruits meet for repentance. Many heard John and heard him gladly and flocked to hear the preaching of this prophecy of prophet of the Lord and wondered even if he may be the Messiah, who he is, who is he? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And yet, for all there was that attentive, attentiveness to John's ministry, yet the Old Testament scriptures end with a warning of the curse if this ministry Pointing out the identity of Christ. Identifying to them who Christ was. If that ministry were to be rejected. I come and smite the earth with a curse. That is indeed the position of all. Who reject the saviour. Under God's curse. And most directly. The people of Israel for casting off their messiah. Here then are things concerning Christ. John, uh, Luke 24, 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you. And all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Here are these things. Well, with that overview of the short chapter, I want us to look more closely at some aspects of Malachi chapter 4. 
want to break it down into different sections. First of all, the day that is coming. The day that is coming. And we do this under two sections, I suppose, as we go on. But first, let us begin with the day that was prophesied. The day that was to come. And, of course, you will be not surprised the least to hear that our different views as to which day this is. Is it the first coming of Christ? But it sounds more like the day of judgment. Is it the second coming of Christ? And shall burn us an oven, and all the proud, yet all that do wickedly shall be stubble. Others take it as the day of the gospel age, as it were. So that period between the first and second comings. And plenty good men hold different views trying to identify. Some take it as a sort of successive revelation. Sort of that there is a fulfillment in the day of the first coming and its ultimate fulfillment in the second coming. And so what I'm going to suggest to you, by no means would I expect to bind anyone's conscience with it, but as best I've tried to understand it, this is what I think is intended. I would suggest that the day spoken of here, in this chapter, is the same day throughout. The day that comes in verse 1 is the same time frame being spoken of in verse 2. And it's the same time frame being spoken of in verse 5, before which Elijah must come. And it's the same day, which is then, if there's not a response to the ministry of Elijah, which a threatened curse upon the nation. And so, in that regard, I would suggest it is not Primarily the second coming of Christ that is in view here. And I think largely because I think it is the same day in each case. The same day to the wicked and to the godly. In that this day to the wicked will be a dreadful day. But to the godly a glorious day. Now that would certainly say that fits in with the second coming of Christ to the wicked, a day when they cry to the hills and mountains to fall on them. But to the godly, the promise is that the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And I would be loath to say that hasn't happened yet. I would be loath to say that we have not known the healing of the Son of Righteousness because it is yet a future event. I think, therefore, the day has come that is spoken of here. And its primary reference, then, I think, is to the first coming of Christ. And also, this day, whatever it is, if we take it in that way, this day is preceded by the coming of Elijah. Now, of course, we take that to be John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist precedes the, at least, pu public appearance of Christ's ministry in the first coming, 
And ultimately, you could even say, of course, it has preceded the second coming, but that would be perhaps stretching it rather. Look at John the Baptist's ministry as a fulfillment of a, of a precursor to the second coming. And then we are not then looking for any other Elijah-like figure to appear as a forewarning of the second coming of Christ. We've had John the Baptist. He has come. He is the one who identifies that the one who follows him is God's Messiah. So I think for these reasons that the burden of the passage leans heavily on the first coming of Christ. Although we might say in different ways that there is a, an extended reference to the consequences of Christ's first coming, which continue throughout the age until his second coming. But I think the, the direction of our attention should be upon the events surrounding the first coming of Christ. So that, I think, is uh, the day uh, that is coming or from our perspective now, that has come. I didn't want to put that in the title because it would be a presumption then of what view we'd be taking. But I think it is the day that has come. The day that is coming from the perspective of Malachi. Now, if we look then at what is promised here of that day from the perspective of the two groups of people as subpoints under this point. First of all, that day for the wicked and that's where Malachi begins. Behold, the day cometh shall burn as an oven. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. For all that do wickedly, for the proud, who seem to be being envied before in the previous chapter, now we call the proud happy. Yea, they did what wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Well, those who are proud, those who work wickedness, those who tempt God are not to be delivered. <laughs> the word of God speaks of a clear judgment upon them. It's described here in terms of a destruction. Burning with fire. Leaving neither root nor branch. A wholesale destruction then of the wicked. Who neglect and reject the Lord when he comes. And so if we are looking for a judgment in that manner. Certainly the Lord himself throughout his public ministry. Denounced his enemies. In no uncertain terms. And warned them of a particular judgment to come. And that is directly, I think, and literally fulfilled in the events of AD 70. When the Roman army destroyed Jerusalem. The wicked who rejected the Messiah were devoured by the ferocity of the Romans. The Romans were God's instrument of judgment upon the nation for rejecting his son. The righteous, by contrast, had given heed to the warnings of Christ and weren't remaining holed up in Jerusalem 
But they fled when they saw the approach of the Roman legions because they had listened to Christ's words. Mark 13, 14. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. And the Christians did. Those who were not believers, who rejected Jesus of Nazareth as Messiah, remained convinced that God would still deliver them, that at the last moment the Messiah would appear. And they stayed there to their destruction. And the city was raised to the ground. And so the coming of Christ resulted in the mass judgment of the ungodly who had explicitly rejected him. It was a root and branch judgment as prophesied. Jerusalem was utterly wasted. And this word is fulfilled of Malachi's. And it serves in that context to prove for us, or rather support the conclusions of Scripture elsewhere and everywhere, that Jesus is the Messiah promised. The Messiah who's promised that day when he comes has an accompanying fierce judgment that comes with it. And if we look at the coming of Christ and there was no accompanying judgment, then you'd say he is not the one prophesied in Malachi. But there is. And the events of AD 70 were a dreadful time upon the Jewish nation. The day did bring destruction to the godless. What about this day then on the other side of the coin? Let's look at that day for the God-fearers. But unto you that fear my name. Note of the similarity of language that was used before in verse 16 of the previous chapter. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And here it is put as, but unto you that fear my name. Who is the revelation of God in our nature? Jesus Christ. They thought upon him. There in the events of AD 70, they remembered his words. And for the godly, the coming of Messiah... Not just in judgment, but the whole events around the first coming of Christ. That is an altogether different sort of a day. An altogether better sort of a day. You know the way it is when two people come back to the one house, having each been at their own place of work. One's had a dreadful day and one's had an excellent day. Had the same day, they've lived to the very same point in time. But to one it was joyful and to one it was uh, dreadful. So far more here, the coming of Christ, the day of Christ, brings destruction to the wicked. But think of the rest. Think of Anna. Think of Simeon. Think of Elizabeth and Zacharias. Think of the just man and a good man, Joseph. 
or Nathaniel, an Israelite indeed, whom is no guile. Think of Nicodemus who came by night wondering if he was the one that should come. And at some point thereafter concluding indeed that he must be born again. And he was. For the godly, for them that feared God's name, the son of righteousness arose. For them, the coming of Christ was the abolishing of the shadow. Suddenly it made sense with Christ's coming. Their hearts burned within them as he showed them in the scriptures of things concerning himself. Suddenly all these sacrifices, all the temple worship, all the, the typology just melted away in the fulfillment that they had in Christ. The sun was risen. It was noonday. This is what John the Baptist's father spoke of there in Luke 1, verse 78. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. The day spring, the dawn of the day, the spring of the day, the rising of the sun has visited us. The light has come. The light of the world. Or again, Matthew, it is quoting Isaiah, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The day is come. And so this blessing of the coming of Messiah is given in this way, in these terms, to the world. He has come. And so in that sense, we even today, in the gospel day as it were, we rejoice too because the son of righteousness has come. And he has risen with healing in his wings. And we are the beneficiaries of the light that he has brought and the healing and the warmth that he gives. I'm going to give you a bit of a quote from my favourite commentator, John Gill. As the sun communicates light to all the celestial bodies, so Christ to the moon, the church, to the stars, the minister of the word, to the morning stars, the angels, as the sun dispels the darkness of the night and makes the day, so Christ dispelled the darkness of the ceremonial law and made the gospel day. As he dispels the darkness of ignorance and unbelief and makes the day of grace and will dispense, dispel the darkness of imperfection yet and will make the day of glory. As the sun is a pure, clear and lucid body, so is Christ without the least spot of sin. And so are his people as they are clothed in his righteousness. The sun of righteousness. As the sun is a glorious body, so is Christ both in, his, in both his natures, divine and human, in his office as mediator, and will be in his second coming. As the sun is superior to all the celestial bodies. So Christ is 
to angels and saints. As the Son is but one, so there is but one Son of God, one mediator between God and men, one Saviour and Redeemer, one Lord and Head of the Church. And so Christ declares the mind and will of his Father, the hidden mysteries of grace, lays open the thoughts of men's hearts in conversion and will at the last day bring to light the hidden things of darkness. And as the Son, he warms the hearts of his people with love and causes them to burn within them while they hear his gospel. So the arising of this Son can speak of the appearance of God in our nature, Christ into the world. Under the Old Testament, that Son was not risen. The revelation of, of God fully in man was not known. It was night and dark. But John the Baptist, John was the, the morning star. John was the forerunner of the of this day spring from on high. Christ the Son is risen. And he has visited mankind and has spread out his light and heat to us all. The gospel goes on. The grace and work of the Spirit goes on. His wings, that is the rays as it were, of the Son of Righteousness. Stream down upon this world to this day. And so the day here spoken of is utterly different for these two classes of people. To the one a savour of life, to the other a savour of death. And then we also notice from verse 3 what happens. For them that fear his name they shall tread down the wicked. The victory given to the people of the Lord by this day that he has come. His coming will usher in victory for his people. We don't always feel so very victorious at times. But we do have to remember what we are. And Romans reminds us what we are. Not just what we will be, but what we are. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. It is already true. After the destruction of Jerusalem, some historical records, whether we can depend them utterly or not, we're not sure, that suggest that the ones who went back, first of all, to try to rebuild in the city were Christians. Believing Jews, who were literally then rebuilding from the ashes and were treading in the soles of their feet upon the ashes of the ungodly who had died and burned there. But this is the outlook of the Lord. To those who fear his name, he gives them the victory in Christ Jesus. Psalm 98 begins a sing a new song unto the Lord. For he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. So Revelation has that victory too. I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast... And over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. Standing on the sea of glass having the harps of God. 
the victory is on the base of the first coming of Christ. The second coming will be the triumph of it, but not the victory of it. That is already sure. So that is the day, the day of the coming, the day of the division of mankind in many ways. He came to bring that division, he said. And the question then that divides all the world is this one. Are you for him or against him? Do you fear his name? Do you speak of him? Do you speak together of him? Or are you proud and are you doing wickedly? And are you under the curse? Well then, secondly, we're moving more briefly. The first point is by far the longest. But let's look at verse 4. The advice that is given. So the day that is coming. Then the advice that is given. Verse 4. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant. What's verse 4 doing here? We're just about ready to take the leap from the old into the new. And we've had this wonderful prophecy of the son of righteousness arising. And then we get to directed to the law of Moses at Horeb, at Sinai. Why is Malachi bringing this? When we're gearing up for New Testament things. Well, likely, I think, by inspiration, under the guidance of the Spirit, Malachi was aware that he was the last of the prophets of the Old Testament until John. And he urges the godly to return to their anchor. They were going to need it. They were not going to have prophets sent to them until John. They needed to stick to what they did have written. They needed to have their Bibles, their Old Testaments. And notice it is, that that is their anchor, remember ye the word of Moses. And to the laws of Moses given at Horeb, that certainly of course comes to mind first of all, is the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. But it is really the whole scope of the civil and especially I would suggest the ceremonial laws. These were the things that were given there. The, the moral law was a, a standing law for all mankind. Restated certainly at Sinai. But not given in the sense of unknown before. Whereas the judicial but especially ceremonial laws were peculiar for Israel for the time when she was in her minority. And they needed to be schooled in these things. They needed to know because these were the ways they would find out about Christ. These were the things that were full of Christ. That's why they're directed in the, in the fallow years, as it were, of the hundreds of years, they were told, get to the law. Get to these types and shadows, these sacrifices and offerings and priests, priestly activity and the ark and the tabernacle. Get to that. That is your teacher. And that will bring you to Christ, your schoolmaster. That's what Isaiah called them to in Isaiah 8. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word. It is because there is no light in them. So they were there. Given this advice. This counsel. Study. These things. In the laws of Moses. These ceremonies. These rituals. These types. Because in them. You will learn. Of what this Messiah will be when he comes. And on that basis, we look at them still and think of what the Saviour himself called them to. 
in his own ministry in John 5, 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And the scriptures there, of course, is purely the Old Testament. None of the New Testament was written just now. Search the scriptures. They speak of me. It's the same as Malachi was saying to them. Remember ye the law of Moses. And think of what happened as the gospel then spread out into the, into the wider world, into the nations around, into the, across the Roman Empire. What was the litmus test for them? As they went on proclaiming the Messiah has come. Jesus is God's anointed, God's promised. What was the litmus test? What was the proof? Is it according to the scriptures? And so in Acts 17, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, the Bereans, of course, in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Again, the Old Testament scriptures. They were verifying the word they were hearing about the son of righteousness with the Old Testament. Did it measure up? Did it marry in? Did it tie with what Moses had promised? And so it is today. Christ remains content to be judged by the promises that God made of the Messiah he would send in the Old Testament. And the New Testament stands upon the foundation of the Old. And without it, it loses it altogether. And how we should love to tell, if we come across and have opportunity, our Jewish brethren, this very thing. Our Messiah is happy to be judged by the promises of God. Jehovah, the God of Israel in the Old Testament. Thirdly, the prophet that is sent. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. John came and it was itself a miraculous birth. It was an angelic announcement. It was a wonder to his father. And yet his name is John. What did John do? Oh, he came preaching repentance. He came as a forerunner. He came warning them, calling them back from their sins. <clears throat> Turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the children to the fathers. What was his message? John preached the law. But in particular... He loved to preach the ceremonial law. Behold the Lamb of God. Now if they hadn't been directed back to their laws of Moses. And what more mosaic than the Passover institution. Behold the Lamb of God. And so the prophet that is sent is preaching in terms of those who have been studying their Old Testament and particularly giving heed to these ceremonies and types and sacrifice and offerings, they will know what he is saying. They will look upon Christ in this way. 
by way of faith, because they've given heed to the words of Malachi, to remember the law of Moses. And along comes Elijah the prophet, preaching about these very offerings and sacrifices. Isn't it so? Perhaps what Elijah is best known for is that famous offering upon the top of Carmel, where God sent fire and consumed the offering. While John was saying, here is the Lamb of God. Here is the one whom God will consume as it were, and yet he will rise again. The warning that is left, finally and fourthly. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. What a solemn way to end the Old Testament. Here is the prophecy of Messiah. Here is the final word of God in this great Old Testament before Christ comes. But it comes with these encouragements to turn again to the law of Moses, with this hope of the Son of Righteousness and the healing that he will bring, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And so it is to reject the Saviour brings this curse still upon you. Friends, how much we ought to love our neighbours, our friends, our family because they are under this very curse that Malachi warned about. They have rejected him. But there is still time. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The Lord is gracious. He has given us the day of grace. Let us be praying and let us be witnessing. Let us be pleading and calling our friends to come and hear about the Lamb of God, about the Son of Righteousness. May he bless his word. Let us pray.